We're going to think this morning uh, about the gift of service. But before we get there, I want us to think about the word ministry. I wonder what you think of when you think of the word ministry. Who do you think of when you think of the word ministry? ministry. Maybe you think uh, of ordained ministry, the job that Dave and I do in our little one-day-a-week job. Uh, Maybe that's what you think of when you think about ministry. Maybe you think about what Mark does, uh, leading worship uh, as worship ministry director, or perhaps Hannah, uh, one of our mission partners, and what she does. Maybe that's what you think of when you think of ministry. In the New Testament church, uh, the word ministry is actually a verb, not a noun. It it describes a function, uh, not a status or a job. Uh, And so it was used to describe, therefore, all Christians. All of us who are filled with the Spirit of Jesus are to do ministry, according to the New Testament church. And therefore, all Christians, all of us that say we are followers of Jesus, have an essential part to play in the body of Christ, as described in Romans 12. We are one body, many members, all have different functions, all have different gifts, but each of us is important to the coming together of the whole. Each of us have been given different gifts, whether uh, it's the gift of prophecy that we looked at a few weeks ago, the gift of teaching or serving or administration or mercy or leadership. As we minister amongst each other out of love for God and love for one another, we should be using our gifts. One another. We're to love God, serve God, and love one another and serve one another. This phrase, one another, is emphasized throughout the New Testament. It's a really important phrase. In John 13, Jesus tells his followers, love one another. In James 5, we're told to confess our sins to and pray for one another. In Galatians 6, Paul reminds uh, the Christians there to bear one another's burdens. In Colossians 3, we're told to admonish one another. One another. Imagine a snowflake, a single snowflake, one of nature's most fragile, most beautiful things. But just think about what happens when you get a whole load of snowflakes stuck together. How beautiful, how magnificent, how powerful are those snowflakes when they stick together? how they can change everything when we have one another. So ministry is what we're all called to do, and it's all about service, serving one another and serving God. That's what ministry is. And yet the dominant model uh, in the church today, and especially in larger churches like ours, is that actually only 20% of the church serve the other 80%. In larger churches like ours, this is standard across the Western world, really, that only 20% of the church serve and the other 80% are served, are served. 
That's not very one another. And this can be especially exacerbated when the church is experiencing a time of growth. I don't know when you've experienced this yourself. Uh, maybe a church starts growing, and it's simpler at that point for just a few uh, to do uh, most of the jobs. And yet the, that model can ultimately stifle church growth, as only a few end up using the gifts that God has given them, and the growth, therefore, has its limits. And the church in Jerusalem in Acts 6 was experiencing something of this. Uh, The first five books of Acts are so exciting. So much is happening. There is massive growth as many people become followers of Jesus. And especially in Jerusalem and the surrounding uh, Judean towns. But the structures and the ministry of that early church hasn't caught up yet with the demands upon it. And so we find the church in Jerusalem being presented with all sorts of problems which the apostles have got to sort out. In verse 1 of our passage uh, that Joy read to us, a group of new disciples of Jews are complaining that another group of new disciples in the early church are neglecting their service uh, to the widows in the handing out of food and help for them. So the 12 disciples, the original uh, 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 apostles, they gather together, the whole church, to try and come up with a solution. And the first thing that they do is that they make it clear that they are not the solution. Look at verse 2. It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. So here we have the 12 uh, apostles and they stand there and say, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God to wait on tables. You could read this as these apostles basically saying, we're a little bit too good for serving the widows. We're, we're, you know, it's not our job to do the social work and the pastoral care. That's for somebody else to do. It's a bit below us. But that's not actually what they're saying here. The apostles are simply highlighting that they have been gifted, they've been commissioned uh, to do one sort of ministry, and that's the sort of teaching and the evangelism ministry. And yet what they're doing is acknowledging that the ministry to the widows is as important, is so important. And so what they're saying is somebody else needs to oversee this important ministry to look after the poor and the widows. It'd be a bit like Dave or myself uh, encouraging folk uh, to lead in our youth ministry or our children's work or our soul food ministry, not because it's beneath me to serve in those areas, But if we think those things are important, then two or three or 12 of us cannot do everything. And secondly, it's about gifting as well. If we are a body, if we are a body, then one or two of us or 12 of us do not have all the gifts. We need each other. Together, we are the full embodiment of the church in order for it to function most powerfully and most effectively. We need one another. And so the apostles' solution that they present to the church in Jerusalem is this. They say, choose seven men, men because they just didn't have women in those sorts of leadership roles at that time. Choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn responsibility over to them and we'll give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. 
Choose seven people who are full of the Spirit and wisdom. This is not just a practical task, something that just has to be done, a role uh, just to be filled, to tick that box. But as with all ministries of the church, it requires people filled with the Spirit and wisdom. Often, I think, in the church, we make unhelpful distinctions uh, between gifts, don't we? Some such as teaching or leading worship or intercessory prayer or prophecy, these are seen as, as the super spiritual gifts. People must have sort of an extra level of faith or connection with God to have these gifts. Whereas gifts like mercy and hospitality, administration, serving are seen as practical gifts with little or no spiritual edge. But that's not true. It's made clear here. The apostles were saying, appoint people who are filled with the Holy Spirit and wisdom to do these important serving tasks. A few years ago, uh, I had a guy come to work with me called Chris, uh, and he came uh, to work with me straight from university. At the time, I was working as a school chaplain. And on, the first, on his first day, we were walking around the school. I was just showing him around, as you do, uh, showing him everything that he had to do. And as usual, I was carrying my bag that was completely stuffed with everything that my whole ministry and my whole life depended on. It was quite a big bag. And I was carrying it around with me. And uh, Chris, after a while, turned to me and said, Libby, would you like me to carry your bag for you? And I was a bit like... No, I'm quite capable, I didn't say this, this is what I was thinking. I'm quite capable of carrying my own bag. I'm a strong and independent woman. I can carry my own bag. He was being kind, I was not. And the things I was thinking, but also I was thinking, I don't want you to carry my bag because actually you're going to be doing ministry with these 14 or 15-year-old boys that are all around you. And actually if they see you carrying my handbag, uh, you won't have any street cred whatsoever. So I refused on that count as well uh, for him to carry my handbag. The next day, we were having a, a meeting uh, with my four other colleagues, and Chris arrived early. He made us all tea and coffee, so there was all tea and coffee laid out when we arrived. There was biscuits as well, and then he insisted on clearing up at the end of it. Chris, I discovered, was the always the first person to arrive, so that everything was always set up everywhere you needed to be before you got there. He was always the last person to leave because he insisted on clearing up. He was the first to volunteer for all the menial, non-glamorous jobs. And at break times, I'd often see him uh, sat on a bench chatting uh, with some kid who was on the edge, who was struggling in some way, who was having a difficult time in the classroom or with his friends. He was always the person sat on the bench talking to that child. He was always the first to volunteer uh, to any teacher who needed help with absolutely anything, even though none of those things were actually his job. And he was somebody who shone with the love of Jesus everywhere he went. Chris had the gift, the spiritual gift of service, and he is one of the most Christ-like people I've ever met. In the New Testament, there's no distinction between what is spiritual work and what is serving work or practical work. All 
our gospel, good news works. They're done by all of us who are filled with the Spirit so that the kingdom of God may expand in the world today. So that means if you are serving from a place of humility, from a place of love for Christ, not just because you've been asked to do something you're doing it anyway, whether you're preaching or whether you're making the coffee or whether you're sharing your faith with your friends in your workplace, uh, whether you're visiting people who are ill or cooking cooking for somebody who's just had a baby, uh, whether you're leading worship or just sat with somebody listening uh, to their story, whether you're praying for somebody or clearing up uh, B's and T's on a Thursday or whether you're setting out the chairs on a Sunday or washing up for soul food, There is spiritual equality in all of these jobs, in all of these roles. All are vital in bringing in the kingdom of God. If you're still in doubt, just look at the person of Jesus. In Luke 22, as uh, the disciples are arguing over who is the greatest, Jesus explains to them uh, that, in fact, in opposition to the way that the world works, in, in his economy... The greatest among them is the one who serves. The greatest among them is the one who serves. As the disciples protest in embarrassment, as uh, Jesus gets down on his hands and his, his knees in the dust and washes their feet, the act of the lowest servant in the house, Jesus explains his actions saying this, the Son of Man, he came not to be served but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. The gift of service is Jesus-style ministry. It requires humility, it requires availability, and it requires love. And that is what Jesus demonstrated most profoundly and most powerfully when he went to the cross. Philippians 2 reminds us that he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. The gift of service is simply God's love put into action. God's love put into action. And I think there's almost a prerequisite Uh, to any ministry in the Spirit. And this is something that I think that many of us are a little resistant to. And that is that we're called to allow Christ to serve us first. Allow Christ to serve you first. Many of us, myself included, can sort of approach ministry with an attitude of, you know, I'm okay, I've got this, I can do this, I'm capable, I can do this service thing. But there's a difference between serving because you can or you think you should and serving because the Spirit is so at work within you, you are compelled to serve. And that difference, I think, comes when we allow Christ to serve us first. We learn to serve, we're released to serve, when we allow Christ to serve us first. Jesus, when Jesus kneels and washes his disciple Peter's feet, 
Peter protests and he says this, never, never at any time will you wash my feet. I don't know why he has such a massive problem with it. You know, maybe he's got disgusting feet, I don't know. Never, never at any time will I allow you to wash my feet. And Jesus responds with these words, if I do not wash your feet, you will not be my disciple. If I do not wash your feet, you will not be my disciple. Peter learnt it, and we need to learn it too. We need to allow Christ to serve us too, first. So that if we want to minister effectively for Christ, then we need to perhaps go through a bit of a humbling, embarrassing, exposing experience of being cleansed by Christ. It's about saying, here I am, Lord, this is me. And letting him into every single part of our lives. Not just the parts that we've decided are good enough for him. Or not just the parts that we've decided to let him into. But letting him have complete access to everything. Confessing the rubbish. Confessing the dark places. The embarrassing and shameful things. Exposing our vulnerabilities and our doubts and our questions to him. And then letting him come in and cleanse us and forgive us and teach us and love us and wash us and serve us and make us whole again. Allow Christ to serve you first. And so back to Act 6. Having raised the problem, uh, come up with a solution. Uh, the Christians in Jerusalem then choose seven men. Stephen, who we hear is a man of faith filled with the Spirit. Uh, Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, they chose Greek people, uh, Parmenas and Nicholas. Uh, and, and hands are laid on these men, indicating a conferring of authority to do this ministry of going out and feeding the widows. Uh, they're given a role and they're given value and authority to do it. Uh, many believe that these seven people uh, were the first diaconots, the first deacons in the church, those whose spiritual gift was simply uh, to wait on tables. That's what diaconate means. Uh, and in Romans 12, verse 7, Paul names one of the spiritual gifts as diaconai, to wait on tables, translated as to serve or to do ministry. In 1 Corinthians 12, 28, Paul identifies the spiritual gift of antilepsis, which is translated as helping. Both diaconi and antilepsis have a similar meaning. They mean to help, to serve the community out of love. Kalfa explains the spiritual gift of service or helping like this. Maybe, listen, is this you? Is this somebody you know? They are the ones washing dishes after we've gone home. They're the ones putting up the chairs while we crawl over them to get to the exits. They are the ones who ask if they can help carry or clean or deliver while everyone else is in their cars heading home. They enjoy the party best if they're in the kitchen or at the barbecue pit or handing out the food. We want to be served. They want to serve. We want to be served. They want to serve. 
I used to run a camp for young people and uh, um, young offenders and families as well. And there was a group of people who felt called to serve on this camp, but not actually be leaders on the camp with the young people and the families uh, that we served in that way. That wasn't their calling, their role, or their gifting. But this group used to uh, come to this field in Yorkshire uh, five days before the first camp started in the summer, and they would spend those five days working like Trojans, setting up tents, putting up marquees, digging trenches for the urinals, lovely jobs, it was worse at the end, uh, laying out hundreds of meters of water piping around the, the field. And then four weeks later, uh, when the place was trashed, it was uh, knee-deep in mud and disgusting, these people would come back and they would clear everything up, wash everything, put it away beautifully. And they did it because they loved Jesus and they wanted to serve his kingdom in this way. And that was their way of doing it, their gifting. And this is what these seven men in, Jeru in the Jerusalem church are commissioned to do. In the early church, ministry of service is not seen as demeaning or a lesser spiritual gift, but is a vital ministry for the growth of the church. A verse later, after they're commissioned, they've had their, hand, their hands laid on them, they're sent out to do their work, we discover why this is so important. In verse 7, so the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly, and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. This wasn't an accident. The evidence from the New Testament church shows that when people who are filled with the Holy Spirit, with wisdom and with faith, are stepping out and using their gifts, partnering with God in what he's doing in that place, uh, with the God who has power to transform, the church grows. It happens time and again through the New Testament church. When people are partnering with God, using the gifts that God has given them, the church grows. On that note, I just want to share an interesting statistic with you. As I said earlier, in most large churches, 20% uh, of the people tend to be the ones who serve, uh, whilst the other 80% are those who are served. That's put generously. Some might say are entertained. Um, I had a hunch when I was uh, looking at this this week that P's and G's is a little different from that. Uh, so I asked David Shanks, our administrator, to do um, some analysis for me. So he spent some time analyzing lots of lists and lots of databases and came up with a rather interesting statistic. At P's and G's, it's completely the opposite. 80 to 90% of regular people at P's and G's serve. And 10 to 20% are people who don't. So 80 to 90% of people at P's and G's serve in some way that's just in the church's ministry, let alone other ministries around the place. So we completely buck the trend. Fascinating, but hugely encouraging uh, statistic. I think it's amazing, and we're hugely grateful to everybody who serves in some way in this church. 
But maybe you aren't serving yet, or, or maybe you're just not sure what to do, or maybe you are serving in some way, but you're not sure it's where your gifts are, and you've just found yourself doing it. Then do come and chat to me at the end about it. Uh, we have about 900 people in this church and we always need people to serve. We always need people uh, to be setting up and starting new connect groups around the city. I would love to hear from you if you feel that God's putting that on your heart. We always need people uh, to be on our welcome teams, to serve coffee, uh, to help in our children's ministry, in our youth ministry, on the production team uh, up at the top there, in our soul food teams. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. We have this brilliant leaflet called Pray, Serve, Give. If you want to find out more about those, they're at the back. Maybe you've spotted a gap somewhere in the church and you feel God is just putting it on your heart to serve in that area in some way. Come and tell us what it is. Come and chat to myself or Mark or one of the other team at the end. So I want to finish this morning by imagining this church. Imagining this church where people are fully living out their gifts. Where we're allowing Christ to first come and serve us. And then we're going and serving our Savior, Jesus Christ, and one another. What would that church look like? I think it would look like a church where each one of us is going deeper in our relationship with Christ. Each one of us is open to the Holy Spirit's renewal of our lives and this church and this city. It would look like a church where the love of Jesus was lived out profoundly and radically through all our lives, wherever we are, whether that's in a school or a university, whether it's in our workplace, our homes, with our families or with our friends. It would look like a church where every week, New Christians are joining our congregations because they've come to know Jesus through all of us, wherever we are in the city. It would look like a, ch a church where our ministries are growing exponentially because the Holy Spirit is working in us and through us as we actually stepped out in the gifts that God has given us. It'd be a church where so many people are wanting to serve that there are never any requests for help in the notice sheet. Imagine that. It would be a church where people noticed each other, where we helped each other out in times of need, where we offered us hospitality, where none of us were ever above helping. It's a church which knows what it means to be loved by God. It's a church which loves God. And it's a church which loves one another.